There are two dilemmas that rattle the human skull. How do you hold on to someone who won't stay? And how do you get rid of someone who won't go? From Pod 617 Productions, it's Shine On, a presentation of Berkman, Botger, Newman, and Shine. Now here's your host, attorney Evan Shine. Episode 22 of the Shine On Podcast, I'm Evan Shine. With me is David Yaz, the producer of the Shine On Podcast. David, how are you? Pretty good, pretty good. That's an impressive number. Dave, I got to tell you, it is special. And you know what? When I woke up early this morning, as I do each and every time we record an episode, I'm having my coffee. I'm prepping for today's show, and I'm looking at the calendar, and it hit me. We are almost at the one-year anniversary of the Shine Up podcast, and that's absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. And with the one-year anniversary of the Shine Up podcast on the horizon, I have no doubt that producer Dave, (laughs) or should I say Chef Dave, is hard at work cooking up something extra special in the Shine On kitchen as we get closer to the anniversary episode. <laughs> yes, I am working on it feverishly as we speak, as far as you know. Yes, we will We will have to do something. It would be, it would be cool to have a reunion show. Have all your guests return and say hi, you know. That would, that would be fantastic. But Dave, before we hit that <laughs> anniversary episode, let's get into today's show, which I'm incredibly excited for. And do we have a treat today? Coming up on the other side of this week's docket is my interview with author of the internationally best-selling book, The Best, Worst Time of Your Life, Four Practices to Get You Through the Pain of Divorce, Divorce Coach, Andrea Hips. She's our featured guest this week on episode number 22 of the Shine On podcast. This is an interview that you would not want to miss. All right, Evan, once again, the docket machine is ready to go. Are you ready, counselor? David, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's see what's on the docket. Item number one, my friend, on the docket comes to us from the Harvard Business Review, right in my backyard. The headline reads, Tough Parenting Decision? Take a page out of the CEO's playbook. And I'll read a little bit of the article. It's lonely at the top. This phrase often resonates with senior executives. But there is another group it applies to, working parents, particularly those who are managing their kids solo, and especially true when faced with tough choices. And then talks about how decision-making is particularly hard. But but to follow the advice of CEOs when it comes to this. So I don't. I know you've reviewed this, Evan, but I don't want to steal any of your thunder. So tell us what you got out of it. Dave, such an important and interesting article in the Harvard Business Review. And look, this article draws the parallels between parenting and running a company. The article, and I love the title, Tough Parenting Decisions, Take a Page Out of the CEO's Playbook. The article compares the difficult decisions and challenges that face both senior executives, CEOs, and working parents. And the five self-management tips and practices in the article, check them out. They're incredibly important. And Dave, when I was reading this article, it reminded me of one of the early episodes of the Shine Up podcast where we spoke with Dr. Philip Levy about communication in all relationships, work, marriages, business, sports, politics. And that episode still resonates with so many of the listeners out there because what Dr. Phil talked about was the importance of communication, empathy, listening, 
And these are the skills that the article mentions when looking at our executives, our leaders, and also when it comes to parenting. And look, we've talked about before, but we're living in a time where everyone is being tested. Business leaders, executives, they're tested. Parents are being tested throughout the pandemic. Now as children are back in school and parents are back in the office and virtual schooling is a thing of the past. Everybody is juggling things like never before. Families are tested. Marriages, will they last or will they fall apart? Relationships, will people become closer or will people drift apart? And this isn't just in the family setting. It's in all settings, friendships, family, work, sports, business. And the questions are endless. As the article points out, many of the qualities that make our leaders great, empathy, patience, caring, commitment, loyalty, employees first, pivoting and adapting the skills that you need as a parent and as an executive, everybody's trying to apply those across the board. And to quote my good friend and China podcast guest, Dr. Philip Levy, together, we are better. And you can go back and find that episode. It was episode number three of the Shine On podcast, and that posted back in uh, December of 2020. But, of course, go to your Apple podcast feed and scroll to the bottom or wherever you find your podcast. Item number two on the docket, very interesting one. This comes to us from the good folks at the New York Times. Why virtual weddings are no longer legal in New York. So as ravaging as the coronavirus pandemic was, the article reads, there were a few bright spots. Dogs got walked more, humans discovered cocktails to go, and Zoom weddings became a thing. But on June 25th, the honeymoon was over. The weddings by video remained popular even after pandemic restrictions eased and larger in-person ceremonies resumed. Governor Andrew Cuomo lifted the executive order he originally issued in April 2020, allowing couples to be married online. So can't do it anymore. Your thoughts, Evan? Dave, when I saw this article, virtual marriage is coming to an end. It got me thinking about the way technology is going to be incorporated into my practice as an attorney and really the legal industry. And I've already seen certain things change in just the past few months. Virtual notarizations are now over. They're a thing of the past. Is the virtual world and how we've integrated the virtual world and certain technologies into our lives, is that slowly coming to an end? And look, I hope not. And I'll tell you, we've heard from so many listeners who have emailed me saying that when they heard Amy Van Doren's episode, they ran out and they purchased a plant for their virtual background so they could become better daters in a virtual world. Look, virtual court appearances, I do believe they're going to be incorporated in some respects going forward. I do think we're going to see a hybrid and the future of a full return to a courthouse, that remains unknown. But I'll tell you this, from speaking to judges, we're not going back to the days where judges will have a calendar of 30 or 40 cases on and people are sitting around waiting in a courtroom for their case to be heard. Long gone are the days when the inside of a courtroom is jam-packed. And just the other day, I got a notice of an in-person court appearance. And Dave, I was like a kid in a candy store when an in-person court <laughs> appearance was offered to me. It was amazing. Mm. I mean, I can't wait to be back in a courtroom after not being inside one for over 18 months. And as a litigator, it was like coming home. And this leads into the question, where do we go from here? 
And we've spoken with experts and guests, Susan Guthrie, the expert mediator who we had on episode 15 of the Shine Up podcast. She talks about mediation and how she expects there to be a hybrid of online mediations and also in-person mediations. But as you listen to her episode, she believes virtual mediations are here to stay and people will benefit tremendously because of that. And look, as I look at my own practice, which is focused on litigation, I do believe there's a benefit to having some appearances be conducted virtually. But I think for the cases that require in-person court appearances, I do think from speaking to judges, from speaking to clients and people, there is a benefit to being back in a courtroom in person to help settle cases. I really believe that. And it's just so nice that we're talking about the change. The, the Shine On podcast has run the journey of the pandemic, and it's nice that things are different from when you talk to some of the experts you mentioned. And by the way, you can find the Amy Van Dorn episode, the other episode you mentioned, in the Shine On podcast feed. It was episode number eight from, from March of this year. Our featured guest this week on the Shine Up podcast is best-selling author Andrea Hips. Andrea is a certified divorce coach and the author of the best-selling and absolutely terrific book, The Best Worst Time of Your Life, Four Practices to Get You Through the Pain of Divorce. Andrea has been featured on NBC, ABC, Fox, and many other media outlets discussing how we can divorce better for the sake of ourselves and our families. Andrea is nice enough to join us today. I appreciate the time. Welcome to the Shine On Podcast. Andrea, how are you? Great. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Andrea, we're excited to have you. And there's a lot I want to get into on today's episode. Let's start with the topic of divorcing in a better way. Can one of the most difficult periods in a person's life be handled differently without the damage and without the destruction and without the children being collateral damage? which unfortunately I find in my, my practice as an attorney happens when parents lose sight of what matters most during a divorce. Now to help us answer this question, I want to jump right into your book, The Best Worst Time of Your Life, which gives four wonderful practices to help people going through a divorce to actually do divorce in a different way. I want to start with the title of your book, which I absolutely love <laughs> right there on the cover Tell us the significance of the title of your book. You know, thank you for that compliment. And I actually hear that a lot. The best, worst time of your life. And most people can only tell you that long after they have gone through their divorce. But I think most people, myself included, would say, like Maya Angelou, I wouldn't take anything from my journey now, that there is so much learned along the path of the absolute crushing breaking, splitting process of divorce that really helps you, and I, I'm putting that in quotes, helps you shed things that probably your life when you were married didn't need either. And I'm not just talking about your spouse. I'm talking about new ways of living, of thinking, and of being. And so now this next stage of life, I don't call it a new life because it's really a, con a continuation of the life you've already had, gets to grow and flourish in ways that it never could have before. And so it does become, in retrospect, the best worst time of your life. In the middle of it, I'm under no illusions. It is the worst time of your life. <laughs> on, the, on the back end, sometimes you get to be able to put the word best in front of it. 
So, Andrew, I want to ask you about that because you mentioned the process. You mentioned it may not be something that somebody could appreciate or process when they're going through their divorce, that this could be a gift. This could actually be the best, worst time of their life. So in your capacity as a divorce coach, what would you say to a client having been there yourself, walked the path of divorce in your own life? You've been on the divorce journey, the divorce roller coaster. You've experienced the emotions, the pain, the sadness. When somebody says to you, Andrea, my life was just turned upside down. My world was rocked. No warnings, no signals. How do I get to that place where I could feel that, where this could actually be one of the best things to happen to me? I love that question because I think everybody, when they start going through divorce, feels like they should be over it. Like, like right when they get in it, they feel like they should be able to manage their mind, their heart, their organization of their home and their experience. People want to wrap their heads and hearts around this experience, what I've observed, far too early in the process. And so we, what we know about healing is we go through continuous cycles of, of restoration and back down again and restoration and back down again. And most of the time when I'm talking to people who are in the back down again, they are very disappointed in themselves. They think I should not have to hit this back down again because I just had a day or two that were really great. And so then why am I going back down again? I'm failing, I'm not doing it right. And I think the only way to really move through divorce is to walk headfirst into the pain shake hands with it and say, hey, buddy, we're on this ride together for at least the next year or two. And I think for most people, instead of doing that, they dig their heels in and they push against the pain and they're scared to death of the pain. And that keeps them in this very rigid, stilted place that doesn't allow everything to fall apart, which frankly, it's going to do anyway, whether you push against it or not, everything's going to fall apart and then you're going to build it back up to back up again. But I think most people are so frightened of feeling dark emotions. And so my invitation when I'm talking to a client is, we need to start to befriend all of these little critters, all of these dark emotions. They're here to help us. They are signposts. They are gifts. They let us know we've reached an end. They've let us know that a new thing wants to grow here. And so how we stay connected to those, to me, is really a vital part of walking through divorce in a way that you can look back and go, I made it through. The problem is, I think, especially as divorce coaching gets more popular, is people get these messages from all of us that it is the best worst time of your life and you're going to grow and it's going to be great. And that message can only be delivered on the backside. You cannot live that in the front side. You simply can't. You have got to walk with someone who can help you care for the darkness instead of skip over the darkness, which I think is sometimes what coaching can sort of promise uh, erroneously. And Andrew, I love that answer. You mentioned pain and you mentioned going into it, shaking hands with it, owning it, and getting through it. What is it about the pain? What is it about those emotions and those feelings that makes it so hard for someone at the beginning of the divorce process to do exactly what you just said? Yeah, I I think we just curate in our lives, especially as we become a more visual society, we we curate a beauty 
And divorce does not measure up to that. Divorce is a sort of a stain across the visual beauty of the life that we think we're trying to create, whether that's the shame on our own part that our relationship didn't work or the shame that we picked someone who is now allowing our relationship not to work. And so we try to create a visual that works too early on our divorce. And so in order to do that, we have to hide from the pain. We have to go, I'm good. It's fine. It's for the best. It's good. It's good. It's good. I'm good. Good, good, good. And really where pain stands is simply an invitation into something you've never been to. And most of us, when we think about the pain, especially when we were kids, we all have different stories of pain that we've touched throughout life. They're not usually things that we go back to and treasure. Divorce is the rare uh, revolution in a life where you actually go through the pain, if you go through it carefully enough, you will reflect back on it and go, I can't believe who I became, the expansiveness that I have developed. And I always tell people when they're, when they're going through divorce, one of the most important conversations to, do, to have when you first start starting to get divorced is to collect divorced friends and don't ask them about their attorney, their process, their details, or their settlement asked them, what showed up in you that surprised you in this process? Tell me about who you became that you can't believe. Tell me about the people who showed up for you that you didn't anticipate. You know, kind of digging into, oh, that's where the beauty comes. Oh, that's where the story gets beautiful. Not in, I made him pay or I made her, you know, I stuck it to her this way, whatever it is. Those aren't, that's not the beautiful part of divorce. The beautiful part of divorce is an unwanted pain that opens up into the beauty of the next stage. And that, that's the right question to ask because you mentioned, look, friends and family and having that, that real strong support team around someone is incredibly important but so many times I hear from my clients, Evan, my friend got this, or my friend's divorce took six months. Why is mine taking a year? Or, or my friend received $5 million in her divorce. Every divorce is different. Every family is unique. And I think you make such a great point. I think if people knew the questions to ask, the questions not only to ask, but really the right people to surround themselves with during the process how much better the process would be or how much quicker or how much, you know, smoother a very hard process can be if you ask the right questions and you surround yourself with the right team. Yeah. And, and I do think that the divorce process for the layperson feels very mysterious when you're on the outside of it walking in. And I think when you, you walk into the attorney's door, they're like your shaman, like they're going to lead you into the space you need to go to. And there's no attorney I've met who wants that pressure. They're there to, you know, officiate and lead you through a legal process to result in the dissolution of your marriage. They're not there to ask all of the questions that go into making your new life. They're not there to deal with what gets lost along the way, right? And so I always talk about the story of divorce and the business of divorce. And your attorney is an absolute expert at the business of divorce, but the story of your divorce can really overwhelm the business of your divorce, right? If you start saying, well, he or she needs to pay because of this part of our story that didn't get, that I didn't get justice in, right? Or he or she needs to own this before I will pay this, right? And so we have to start keeping those separate. And I think that's really a very difficult thing for people to understand on the front end because they hear divorce, they get an attorney and they start marching in a direction. And then they're like, I don't even know if this is where I want to be. 
not because anybody did anything wrong, just because nobody was able to sort of project manage and set the stage on the front end. And I do feel like that is where divorce coaching can really be a, not a, a savior of sorts, but it can, it can be a stage setter where you go, okay, which players do we need to pull in and when and why and for how long? And so how do you use each of these players and put them on the court to play at the right time? That to me was definitely a missing piece in my own divorce because I did go to my attorney really saying, get me through this. And I know a lot of people do the same. Andrew, you mentioned your own divorce. And I want to ask you, when did the light bulb go off for you in terms of when you realized, was there a moment for you, you realized things could have been different, perhaps things could have been handled in a different way, better way, if you had the team of support at the beginning of the process, sort of setting the stage, as you mentioned? Yeah, I I think when I started going into more professional coaching, I started to see just the absolute breadth of professionals that I had no idea even existed at the time that I was going through my divorce. And I think a lot of people feel the same way, again, because of that sort of attorney-centric mindset that people get in. And it's fair and it's valid. And for decades, that's, it is all people had, right? And now we've got so much more of a robust system to support people, but that fight or flight around money kicks in right when you get divorced too. And so you really want to make sure you're getting high value from the dollars that you're putting out. And I think really helping people to understand understand you can pay an attorney to give you the legal results you need, but there is no price that you can put on being able to show up to your kid's wedding and dance with your former partner and smile at him or her and say, we did this. There is no price you can put on feeling comfortable at your kid's birthday party with your former partner. That piece to me is the part that needs far more investment. And I don't just mean financially, I mean, emotionally, in order for you to structure a life that you can feel at home in. And that's what I talk to clients the most about is, how do we get you to a place where you're not so rocked by this person, you're not so reactive, and you're able to bring about sort of the life and beauty that your previous life might have had into this new situation, which at at the beginning is full of awkwardness, full of resentment, full of just static and really start to show up to it in ways that invite the next part of the story to emerge. Andrew, I absolutely love that. And I've said divorce is a team sport and you need your coaches, you need, you know, the different professionals, your financial professional, your attorney. Let me ask you this. Are you finding more attorneys are embracing working with a divorce coach? Are you finding that there's been a shift in recent years, you know, and I, I, I love the team concept. I love having a team of professionals on board, but I would imagine that's not shared by everybody in terms of the attorneys and the legal professions, but are you starting to see a shift in the recognition? Yeah, I think especially as collaborative divorce starts to gain more traction and popularity, there is sort of more attention to what am I doing about the mental health component of my divorce. And I find that with my sort of referral base of attorneys, there are people who are hot on divorce coaches and really want them in the room and really see the value. And then there are some for whom this is just a space I don't even need to pay attention to because they're very clear that their role is to provide the legal advice and what this client does outside of their office 
really is of no concern to them. And that, that's fine. There is no problem with doing that. I think the, the people for whom their motivation to help in the family law space comes from really wanting to create spaces of healing or of, of aligning family structures to match with reality, those people tend to have a softer side toward coaching. And I think it's important for coaches to be able to show up in a way that is very respectful of and careful around the attorney profession. Obviously, we don't want to be getting into the unauthorized practice of sure. law. We want to be prepping people in the right ways, but we don't want to be overstepping. And so I think that's where the places where I enjoy the most comfort as a coach are places where that attorney and I have a relationship that is clear and supportive and really says, I've got this, if you've got this, you know, and that sort of collaborative, even if it's not officially a collaborative divorce experience. Andrew, when you hear from clients and you work with clients both during the divorce process and when the divorce is finalized, when you hear from clients about their divorce and the nightmare that somebody went through and the two, three, four year divorce battle, what do you find in, in your practice are the biggest reasons why either a case went on too long or, and again, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback and hindsight's twenty twenty. but are there common things that you find in your practice when you work with clients that you wish you could have been involved in at the beginning that would have changed not only the divorce process, but really how someone communicates after divorce? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think some of the, really the main thing that happens is people have put an emphasis on needing to label the flaw in their former partner, whether they're a narcissist or they're whatever those words are. When they do that, which might be useful to them to help understand their former partner, it also can stall or halt even their ability or desire to figure out how to work with that. And so my work with people who find themselves in these sort of protracted experiences is really how do we learn the operating system of your former partner? What do we absolutely know we can trust? People are very predictable. They act in ways that are very predictable. They have given you lots of data over the years that if you bring up X, you're going to get Y. And if you do it this way, this is what's going to happen next. And people still get sort of shocked and surprised that, that their former partner is operating in these ways. So the thing that seems to be missing in those protracted, long-experienced divorces are learning new ways of communicating that have less to do with the other person and have far more to do with protecting yourself and coming out of conversations in ways that don't add wounds. So I, I remember in my own divorce, there was a moment where we looked at each other and we just said, no more wounds. Just from here forward, we'll keep the ones we have because we can't drop them. But how about we not add new ones to it? When you do that, what I have noticed, what I am advising people and walking through this is, they lose a lot of that engine of injustice and I've been wronged and they don't deserve this and no way am I going to be nice and no way am I going to say thank you because this, 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 this. I get it. They don't deserve your kindness, but you deserve your kindness. You deserve to be able to walk into these rooms with your attorney, with your former partner and be the person you are in every other room in your life. The, the volunteer, the person who smiles, the person who checks on people, that person often gets checked at the door when you come into your um, legal process. And that's the part where people end up 
drawing out the legal situation because they're not facing the realities of the person that they're dealing with or the situation that they're in. I've talked to a number of people lately who have had very long drawn out divorces because they don't want their kids to meet their former partner's new partner. That's a train that's just coming at you. And unless this person is a health and safety concern, your new life now needs to include this other person. And people sort of, again, push, push back. They try to stall it. They try to make it not happen. They file orders in order to say, no, she can't be there. He can't be there. No, 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 no. And, you know, one of the, the practices in my book talks about how do we say yes to this life we didn't expect? You cannot keep this new stage from happening to you. And when I'm watching people in these longer divorces, they are trying to take too much control over the other side of the street and not at all figuring out how to keep their side clean. And so to me, it is a lot about communication, but it is not about communication necessarily with the other person as it is with yourself to make sure you're not over communicating. So I have a phrase, disconnect to connect. And I think there's far too much of an emphasis on getting people to co-parent and align and be close and buddy-buddy and sort of all these celebrity photos of, of taking vacations together. That's not the reality for most people. When you put that pressure on yourself, you make it even harder. So learning how to simply be single, parent next to this person, stop wounding, and start learning how to communicate in ways that do not raise your temperature every time. That's that would, that would be my biggest recommendation. Angie, it's absolutely fantastic. I love the phrase disconnect to connect. And you work with people during the divorce process and after the divorce process. When you hear or do you hear from clients who you work with down the line that they look back and say to themselves or say to you, I see I could have done something differently. Maybe that was a battle I shouldn't have picked. Maybe that was a fight I shouldn't have had. And I, and one of the questions, because I see this in my practice, if people would handle the divorce process in a certain way and pick their battles wisely, you're right. Some things are inevitable, whether it's the introduction of a significant other, whether it's certain things that are going to come up in the co-parenting world. If people would embrace that and realize certain things are going to happen What's the life you want to live? And I think with that understanding, people would be more selective in terms of some of the battles they pick in their own divorce. Yeah, I, I do hear some regret, but that regret is only unless and until and after they have realized that their partner has or their former partner has always been this way and they realized they were operating out of fight or flight for years. And I think that's the thing that often doesn't get said either is once those, once the word divorce gets said, your brain is now on hyper alert. Everything feels like a threat. You're going to take my money, my house, my kids, and my life. Now I need to fight. And when we can learn that the fight actually reduces your ability to make the life that you want in the future. We can start to calm down and breathe and start to get past that reactive spot and get into the creative spot. And I, I have said before that creator and reactor 
have the same letters in them, just differently rearranged, right? Creator and reactor. So how do we keep moving from the reactive space? You're always going to react. Sure. But if you have to open your, you don't always have to open your mouth when you react, right? You can let the emotion flow through you. It's a 90 second cycle. And at the end of it, you can start writing, frankly, even a grocery list that is going to start bringing your reactivity down and start creating the space for the creator to come out so that you can start imagining things differently. I think this uh, notion of, of winning at divorce is ancient. It's archaic. It's expired. No one wins. It's expensive too. It's expensive. And frankly, everybody loses money and everybody has a little bit less of a life experience in, ter- in financially in terms of the finances going forward. But that fear and that threat to your children, to your home, and to your finances keeps people fighting far longer than they want to. The only time I see that being a regret is when they start to see what they created in their in their attempts to protect their kids, what they instead created in their kids, which is typically a, a, a trauma where they're not feeling safe, they're not feeling like they can love the other parent, they're not feeling like they love they can love the other parent's new partner. Those kinds of difficulties end up biting you if you don't make space for them on the front end. Andrea, you have these four fantastic practices in your book. If you had to pick one of the practices, yeah. what do you see as the one practice? And all four of them are great, but what's the one practice for everybody who's listening you would recommend implementing early on because it could really set the tone for everything else that's going to follow in the divorce process. I have a different answer for that on different days. And today I'm going to say practicing gratitude. And I always hate saying that because I feel like people tune out when they hear gratitude, like, oh, thanks for my divorce. Oh, thanks. My life just fell apart. Like, thanks for the pretty flowers I planted. Like it feels very pink and sugary and cotton candy and, and has no depth to it. But in my observation, clients who do best moving through divorce, and even in my own experience, gratitude for what you can appreciate about your former partner, which is the place nobody wants to go, <laughs> is the, the absolute foundation for building a future beautiful two-address family. Nobody wants to give them any credit. Nobody wants to see anything going right with them because again, fight or flight is happening. You're in a reactive state. You're afraid everything's going to be taken from you. But the truth is gratitude changes the temperature of the room. I was just talking to a client yesterday and I said, when you walk into the room, what if you could say, thank you for not introducing the kids to your partner. Absolute no, right? Absolute no, absolute no, 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 no. I'm not going to thank them for anything. As we walked through it, she started to see the value of what it meant to say thank you. Not because they deserved a thank you, but because she deserved to fully be the person full of gratitude that she is in life. And she is in fact thankful. So it's a hard one to wrap your head around, but as a challenge I give to every client that I work with, you have got to start working with the assets. So I'm a licensed social worker. Social work is a strengths-based perspective. When you start to look at what works, it expands. When you start to only look at what's gonna be awesome going forward, you start to enjoy it. My part, my former partner, he has a laundry list of things I don't, you know, like about him or I wouldn't choose for him <laughs> to do. 
I have an equal laundry list of things. I'm super grateful that he does. He's far more relaxed than I am. He's far more playful. He's just brings a, a smile and a laughter to my kids that I've never been able to do. That's the only thing I look at. This list over here does not get me anywhere except sad. The one where I focus on what he brings and offers that generates life for my kids generates life for me. And I think that surprises people is when you are grateful for them and start to really put your eyes on the beauty of their contribution, despite the story that got you here, it really does set the stage for being able to create the possibility of co-parenting. It also really helps your kids because this whole, just don't say anything bad about your former partner that's not a good strategy. It's a starting place, but it's not a strategy and it's full of willpower. And just like on diets, you're going to eat the cupcake. You're going to come out someday. So how do you start to create a genuine regard for this person in a new way outside of marriage that can help support your children? So when we're at the dinner table and, and somebody has a success and I'm able to say, dad is going to love hearing about that. My kids know that's a genuine response in me that I can't wait to see or hear what dad says about that. If I'm like, I can't wait to hear what dad says about that. You know, you, they know it, right? Your kids know what you're bringing. And so how do you start nurturing in yourself this very genuine experience of positive regard for this person? Not all over the board. I'm not talking about forgiveness. I'm just saying, pick a few things that work, keep thinking about them, keep telling your kids about them. And one day you're going to realize it actually is a genuine benefit to your healing. So that would be sort of the one practice today that I would recommend for people. And I know it's hard. I had to do it too. And I had very pathetic gratitudes at the beginning, <laughs> but it, it has developed in me the ability to sit next to, take a car ride with, go have, we just spent two days together for our daughter's birthday in all kinds of situations, very comfortably, because all I thought about was what he was bringing. Andrew, that's so incredibly powerful. You mentioned co-parenting. You mentioned, and you talk about this in your book, the two-address home. Tell us about that. Tell us what that looks like, and how does someone work towards accomplishing the really really the two-address home that you mentioned in the book? Yeah, you know, when we think about having a two-address family, that that's how I introduce us to other families that we meet. I have school-aged children, and and you know, they'll sort of ask, oh, "Is this your husband?" Like, "Nope, this is their dad." We're a two-address family, not we're a divorced family. We're a two-address family. When my kids hear that, they feel like they're a part of one family that has two addresses instead of the family of four that he, they live with here and the family of three that they live with here that creates just a very disjointed experience. So just the language alone is important, but really the behaviors that you introduce in order to create a two address family start with giving your former partner space in your home to exist. And I don't mean physically, just emotionally and mentally that this person is mentioned, talked about, known, included, that the the sound of their name is not a record scratch. It's again, sitting at the dinner table. What do you think dad will think about that? I think dad might be a great person to talk to you about that. I'm not sure if that works out with dad. Let's check in. You being able to continually mention and love 
the name of your former partner being said in your home is a really important part of developing a two-address family. People don't want to do that because it feels scary. And I think deep down in every divorced person's heart, they're very afraid that the, their child is going to love the other parent more than them. Not necessarily in a way that says, I, I, I love, love them more than you. It means I love living with them more than you. We're all afraid that there's going to be some moment where our kids in the choice they have between the two of us are going to pick the other parent, right? And so we get scared to bring them up because if they're that awesome, then that means I'm not awesome, which means I now have to fear that they're going to not be with me as much. So I, I think that being able to mention that is really important. And again, being able to say in front of your children, be able to list off the three things that you can appreciate about their other parent genuinely to their face, out loud, saying it over and over again, creates a feeling where your kids can reach out in either direction and know that they're touching family. I think it's really hard when we get stuck and you know, I say to people, you can only lead people as far as you've grown. If you haven't grown into the space of that relationship, you cannot teach your kids how to do it, right? And especially when we're talking about the other woman, if you have not created a space inside yourself to welcome this unwelcome event, you will not be able to help your children adjust to it either. Andrew, I want to talk about picking up the pieces after divorce. And I know you work with clients in terms of getting back out there and dating and helping people find post-divorce happiness. How do you balance encouraging people and motivating people with the feelings and emotions that so many people have when their divorce is finalized, whether it's processing the loss, the grief, there's a transition. How do you as a coach work with the emotions that someone is going through and say to someone, look, go back, get back out and date, or here's the reasons why you should date or how do you juggle all of that and balance everything a client's going through? Yeah. You know, when, when we're talking about quote, moving on, it's interesting because the people who get, they, they often think once I get these divorce papers, that's when I'm going to be able to move on. And like you sort of hinted at, there can be more of a crushing, whoa, that happens at the end of that more than the divorce parties that I've seen happen more recently on the internet. And I, and I and, see that all the time because yeah. that, that moment where you, where a client receives the signed judgment of divorce yeah. that day, the months that follow is, is incredibly hard for not everybody, but for some people, it's a very hard time because the reality sets in. Yes, exactly. And I think that divorce is a form of a trauma and what we know about trauma is it can rob us of our imagination. And when it robs us of that imagination, all we feel is the loss because we can't picture life now. We don't have a lot of role models of people who are living well post-divorce. We don't have really communities that are set up to hold the, the two-address family in a way that feels neutral, right? There's usually some, some form of pity or, or disappointment around families with, the, with that narrative. And so the darkness of those emotions, to me, again, pain is the invitation. When you can go into them, you can clean them up a lot more quickly. I think for people who are moving into a space of dating again, there are a couple of things that have to happen. One is you have to fix your picker, which, you know, many people will either will either date reactively 
meaning they go out and date the opposite person that they were married to, which often doesn't end well, or they will date the same person just with a different flavor to it. And really being cognizant that dating is not the emotional experience that it was when you were 22. There is a science to dating. We know a lot more about the chemical creations of love versus abiding soulmate love and not getting wrapped up into some vibrant chemical cocktail for a year with somebody who just makes you feel good versus marrying them six months later, right? There are so many things to be aware of that really didn't factor in when we were in our 20s and dating in the same way. So I think for people who are facing the dark that happens at the end of the legal process, part of what we're working on is starting to develop that imagination. No, it shouldn't be this way. But if it was this way, how could it look? And if I could imagine myself feeling happy, what are the ways and spaces that I've done that? And I think, to be very honest with you, what are the healthy ways that I have done that in the past? Because there's a lot of unhealthy buffering coping mechanisms that people use during divorce, including alcohol, that are not sustainable in the long term. Andrew, it's such a great point. And as we finish up on the Shine Up podcast, you have workshops, you have webinars, you have different resources for so many people who are either going through the divorce process or who are newly divorced. Tell us about your workshops and how can people learn more about you and your work and get in touch with you? Sure. Thank you. I have a website. It's my name, andreahipsdivorcecoach.com. There's two P's and hips. And on that, I have all manner of supportive things. So just check it out. And in, in fact, I just put in a discount code for shine on podcast listeners. The discount code is shine on and you can go in there and and get my book for 20% off on my website. There's also a button that you can push on there that says schedule a free call. And I promise you, if you schedule a free call, it will be the most valuable 30 minutes you have spent on your divorce this month. I will help you walk away with a strategy, even if we don't work together, because I care deeply that people get the boost and the bump that they need to keep walking in a direction that supports a healthy future family. And there's lots of other things you can get on there. I have some freebies and some communication guides and other things like that. And you can also sign up for my weekly emails, which I offer really, I call them my guardrail email. It's just Here's the bumper lanes to stay in between. I talk about parenting. I talk about emotional management. I talk about the other woman. I talk about dating, all kinds of things. And if you stay connected to that, you'll stay connected to me. Such incredible resources. And Andrea, I've said, and I'll say it again, your book is one that anyone who's listening, people should absolutely sprint to pick up. You heard that, not walk, not run, but sprint to pick up a copy. The title of the book is The Best Worst Time of Your Life, Four Practices to Get You Through the Pain of Divorce. Andrea, I want to thank you for coming on the Shine Up podcast. It was such a pleasure speaking with you and having you on the show. Thank you. And thank you for being the kind of attorney who supports the, the team sport of divorce and, and really looks for ways to support your clients in that holistic way. I'm very grateful to have been on your podcast today. Thank you, Andrea. Episode 22, it's in the books. Author. And divorce coach, Andrea Hips. Absolutely great stuff. To all the listeners, thank you for listening. You can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and wherever else you listen to your podcast. Follow me on social media. I'm everywhere. Check out this episode and all episodes of the podcast on my website. And you can read my latest blogs featuring our wonderful podcast guest, shineandivorce.com. I'm Evan Shine, and I'll talk to you again real soon. 